You're listening to The Novice Experience, a podcast that explores the opportunities and challenges commonly encountered by students and young people. I'm Calvin Chan, and chatting with my guests, I'm going to take a deep dive into their meaningful stories, the lessons they've learned, and how they can inspire others. Let's get going. Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of The Novice Experience. I'm very excited to have Carlos Young join me uh, for today's episode. He's been a friend for, I think, 14 years now. Uh, one of my a best friends. Uh, yeah. A very, very long time. <laughs> that is a very no, long time. No, longer than that. Longer than that. We met in what? Second, third grade? Yeah, about. Um, how, old was, how old are we at that point? Yeah, 15 years, man. 15 years. Man, we're so old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, comparatively, maybe, but it's been it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, for sure. And Carlos, do you want to just start off with telling our listeners sort of um, an origin story? So like, where did you come from? What are some of the most defining moments in your life that make you who you are today? Wow. Uh, Why don't you start off with that? (laughs) Defining moments, defining things, maybe. I'm a musician at heart, and I suppose... In, in what I study and what I do daily, I'm, I'm a musician through and through. Obviously, for, for a person, passions and, you know, the hobbies are another deal. But as a whole, musician. Um, Chinese, Canadian, Hong Kong. I was born there. And then when I was 18, I made the very brave choice of moving across the world to another continent. And I'm staying there uh, for the foreseeable future. So I'm currently, so you know, in Europe finishing my degree and looking forward to uh, starting a career, which is daunting, especially, I suppose, a bit more information as a classical musician. I'm a violinist. Uh, and with, you know, COVID having happened and all this other stuff going on, I'm guessing, you know, careers and stuff are going to be a little bit daunting. But hey, we're here to tackle this one step at a time. Right. And we're, we're going to get into uh, sort of your degree and your transition to college yeah. moving to a uh, different continent and so on. Uh, before we get to that, though, I want to do something sort of fun on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to do this segment called Give Me Five. And I'm, it's right. sort of like a rapid fire question thing. And so I'm going to fire you uh, different questions and you can make them as short or as long as you want. You don't have to elaborate. Cool. You can give one word answers, um, but it's sort of sure. a fun thing we'll, where our audience can get to know you more. So the first one, I know that you've traveled to many places in the world, you know, yourself yeah. or with family and friends. Which is your yeah. favorite country? Japan, without even thinking. I don't even have to, like, there is no... <laughs> I am I wouldn't call myself a weeb, but I love, love, love Japan. Every time I've been there, right. it's been mind-blowingly amazing and it's just people food culture it's comfortable it's clean everything's super advanced and like every time i go there i see something new i experience something amazing and hands down if you guys want to go i would i mean I've, i haven't been to all of japan obviously but tokyo is a great place to start osaka is also great and if you like if you really really like seafood more than anything else go up to hokkaido that's right. in my opinion. Some of the that's sort of some of the best food is for sure. Yeah, Japan is so unique. All the, the culture, the food, the things you can do there. Everything is unique uh, oh, totally. to that country. Totally. Uh, second question: Name a dish you like that's not mainstream or totally underrated. 
ooh, a dish I like that isn't mainstream. That's an yeah, or that's underrated. Okay, I I don't know. I I don't feel like this is necessarily underrated or not mainstream. But then, uh, recently I've developed for myself a little bit of an obsession. Uh, there's a specific sushi called inari. And it's like sushi rice, and they wrap it in this sweet, um, like a bean curd or like a like a tofu kind of pouch. I, I'm 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 sorry if any of the Japanese people listening to this are like <laughs> crying right now, but that's sort of I don't I I don't know if it's necessarily underrated or you know not mainstream. It's offered in most all Japanese restaurants, but I've just been really really into it recently. Right, that I I'd love to try that one day. Yeah. Okay. Great. We're already <laughs> getting somewhere. Uh, third question. Uh, I know. So you said you're a musician. Other than Manager. the one you play, name your favorite instrument. So um, anything that's cool, like what what do you like best? Other than the uh, other, other than, than violin. Violin. <laughs> that's a difficult question to ask a musician. Um. That's hard. That is actually hard. I would say a uh, recent. Uh, uh, that's not quite true. I've liked this instrument for a long time, but uh, I've been picking up the electric bass or trying to. And mm-hmm. I think bass, I uh, both technically they're different instruments, but then I adore both the double bass and the classical. I know the classical double bass and the electronic bass. I think they're both really really cool instruments. And man, I mean ensembles, bands. If you don't have a bass, you're gonna feel it. They're very important. Right. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And uh, I, I mean, I look forward to hearing you play the guitar. <laughs> we'll see. I have one. I haven't really picked it up yet. Uh, non-equal tuning between strings is very difficult for my head to wrap around. Right. <laughs> uh, fourth question. I know you like comics. Uh, who's your favorite totally. superhero? Uh, Deadpool. Deadpool. I've been reading I mean, I Deadpool. Deadpool. I've been reading Deadpool comics since I was seven. I think probably a terrible thing for for a seven year old to read Deadpool. <laughs> probably teaches you some not so good moral lessons. But right, yeah. Um, to date, I think I own. I can I can confidently say that I own every issue of Deadpool that was printed between like two thousand and four to like twenty ten, and like probably most of what comes after. But I cannot be completely sure about that. But yes, Deadpool is my favorite. Um, I don't know. I just think he's a, he's probably one of the more interesting characters because, mm-hmm. you know, for for the earlier runs, he had this special little thing where he you could read that he had two little voices in his head and he'll talk and interact with them. There's orange voice, which is like very childish, and then there's white voice, which is mature. And then you can kind of watch his psyche and understand what really he's thinking um and he's sort of a in his in another way a very sad character because in a lot of the yeah. comics he wants to be a good guy right he wants to join the cool the cool superhero teams but then he kind of comes off as a dick so <laughs> i i adore deadpool i think he's a fantastic <laughs> character definitely need that or i would have to say um, go for it yeah he he's amazing either that or i would give it to old man logan because oh yeah have you you read the old man logan comics 
I I have not read much comics. Oh, I gotta so say, good. regrettably. If yeah, if you can pick up Old Man Logan or even find a way to like read it online, it's so worth it. Great, yeah. There you go. A, a, a new hobby to get into for sure. Yeah, oh, an expensive one. I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay, last question on our uh, yeah. rapid fire segment. Uh, what's your favorite board game? My favorite board game. You know what? Sadly, I have not played. I have not been playing that many board games recently. So oh. I, that's sort of difficult for me to say. I mean, we we've played Monopoly together recently. That was very fun. Yeah, I mean that that's my favorite board game. It's very cliche. Uh yeah. I love the I love how it's very different each time and yeah. uh, the negotiation that goes into it. The the you know the uh relationship part of of the game. That's that's really fun to me. Totally. Uh, and it changes with each player and that's why it's yeah. uh, so new every time. <laughs> uh yeah. I think at the end of the day I'm a bit more of a like a Dungeons and Dragons, you know tabletop rpg right. sort of guy so right for sure are sort of a different matter i suppose yeah okay let's get into our uh sort of interview here yeah, uh, sure. so carlos after uh we graduated from high school together you went to king's college in london to study your bachelor's in music yeah uh, brackets honors sure and did. after that yeah. you you're now in the Masters of Music program at Code Arts Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, but before yes. you got to these two schools, uh, obviously there was a there was a planning ahead sort of period in grade 12 where you were like, okay, yeah. so yeah. you know, I got to do all these additions. I, I have to do applications. Uh, what was going mm-hmm. through your mind at the time? Uh, could you share with us some of the feelings uh, if there's any like high schoolers out there who's looking to get to fine arts? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I think I was just very optimistic. I think there was, you know, as a as an artist, and as you grow with your art, you sort of come to have a confidence in yourself, and very much so sort of an idea of who you are as a person, and as a musician, and what you can do, what you can't do. You have a very clear image of that. And um when I was doing my my applications, I thought to myself, "Yeah, I'm I'm great. I'm fantastic. These guys are gonna love me." And I suppose I was somewhat cocky in choosing the schools I decided to apply for, um, because, well, actually, <laughs> they ended up not taking me at all. Um, mm-hmm. And what what are the schools that you applied to? That- oh, I went I went for the big boys. Um, I applied for the Manhattan School of Music. I applied for Juilliard. Um, I also mm-hmm. applied for the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, the Royal College of Music in London, and the Schulich School of Music, uh, which is part of McGill University in Montreal. They and you know they're genuinely some of the best music schools in North America. Of course, there are a few more uh, in California and also Peabody in, in Indianapolis, I believe, um, but. I kind of went big. I decided to just chase the the, the great names and these amazing places that I knew of uh, at the time. And that was, you know, I sort of, I suppose I, I was so confident in myself that I didn't quite plan for a what if they don't take me sort of uh, scenario. And I just went and I 
applied and I flew out. I was lucky enough that some of them decided to give me a live audition, but I didn't think mm-hmm. too much, actually. I just thought I would make it and I would apply for all the schools I wanted to go to. But would you say for most artists, it's important to have that confidence there, right? Oh, Do, for sure. For sure. In, in your performance and how you, you know, you perceive, you want others to perceive you uh, while you play your music. But did you think that was a false sense of confidence that sort of hindered your uh, ability to plan ahead and um and make reasonable choices or did you think that was you know if you were to do it again would you still have that confidence yeah that's a very interesting question i think you know having that confidence is very good but at the same time i think for me at the you know at that time in my life i probably just wasn't exposed enough to you know, what the standards out in the real world were were like. You know, it was sort of like a big fish in a small pond sort of deal for me. And I was confident. And I and I know probably back then I wasn't a terrible violinist. And by by no means was I a you know a bad musician, but there's a discrepancy in the in the standards, I suppose, of where I was and where where I thought I was at the time and what these schools were looking for. And I think at the end of the day, this sort of confidence is very, very important. You have to love what you do and be able to stand in front of people and just be like, hey, this is my art. If you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you can just leave. You know, Mm -hmm. I think art without passion and art without confidence like this ends up being, well, not very artistic at all. Um, yeah, I sort of feel like that swagger of, of an artist. Uh, uh, perhaps that we can think of particular celebrities where uh, we don't really like their vibe or their swagger, but they're really popular in, in a way because they they sort of represent what their music's all about. It's unique. Yeah. I remember, I remember like someone like a Lady Gaga got a lot of flack when she came out, right? Uh, uh, just so like how she how she presented herself, but you know she right. wanted to be unique. She wanted to right. stand out. And Gaga is a phenomenal musician. Right. Genuinely mind-blowing. If you listen to any of her stuff, without the theatrics, if it's just her and a piano, her voice is massive, amazing. I agree, for sure. Truly. And now that you've been through King's College and uh, now at at Code Arts, Mm -hmm. uh, what's different about these schools that uh, you've realized you've come to realize that you know maybe you weren't really aware of back in grade 12 when you were looking for colleges so like what's what's sort of different uh, about these schools that have influenced your music oh yeah well the degree at king's college is slightly more academically focused um and certainly i was not expecting that in 12th grade when you look at you know, what resources you have. And certainly for me, when I was talking to my friends from more practically focused conservatoires, um, the ideas, what you do is very, very, very different. I was expecting to go in, practice, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, you know, work till I cry or my fingers start to bleed and then, (laughs) you know, go to bed and wake up and do it all over again. But you know, I think being in an academically focused music program actually opens up a very, very different 
aspects of music making that I think a lot of people in conservatories might lose out on. Um, certainly, you know, I ended up reading textbooks and trying to analyze things and be well acquainted with history more than I did, you know, sitting there in practice all the time. By the end of the day, I think this sort of degree and this sort of approach gives you a more well-rounded um, idea of the music, you know? Uh, currently, I'm doing a research project. Uh, well, research project, my entire master's research is based upon uh, Prokofiev's first violin concerto. And I can actually quite safely say that if I didn't, you know, have the basis of knowing how to do proper research, going through literary sources, and picking out relevant information and being able to compile this research into, you know, an actual readable thing, my interpretation of the music would be very different. And mm -hmm. so I think the big difference in the degrees that I've worked with so far has been that, yeah, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of stuff outside of just practicing my violin all the time, but now I think I've actually got a better idea of what I'm actually doing. You know, hours and hours of musical analysis and history and knowing Prokofiev, knowing his life, knowing what he liked, uh, you know, sort of his ideas of composition. That ended up for me, I think, as a big benefit. Because not only can I look at a work now and be able to say it comes from this time, this era, there are these characteristics about it. You know, having that theoretical academic knowledge is is sort of like standing on a like a base of of useful information. And you can just apply that into playing. And I think that's kind of the biggest difference. I still practice all the time right now. I, you know, I, I probably did about four and a half, five hours today. The rest of the time I worked on trying to analyze this this piece and I think if if you go into a conservatoire for very very practically focused curriculums you end up losing um these sorts of valuable research and kind of analytical skills that can actually be very helpful yeah totally I agree with you I mean I I did uh piano uh personally with the Royal Conservatory of Music here in Canada right. and um you know, part of the testing is that you do analysis. Ah, the and also, harmony classes. Right, the harmony and the history <laughs> classes. And I, oh, those are difficult always, for me. <laughs> they were very difficult, but I appreciated the the history side. Like what you said, it helped me understand sort of the, the art that I'm performing in a yeah. present modern day where, yeah. you know, the audience might not really understand uh, where the composer was coming from at the time. Yeah. And I I felt like I was, uh, having understood the history behind it, I was able to better present the emotions and the story and the background behind the piece. And I totally agree with you. Uh, but just so uh, you know, we're clear, when you say it's more academic um, at mm -hmm. the colleges that you've you've been to, mm -hmm. what would have what would have what would it have been if uh, you were doing this at you know the big schools that you were uh, you were applying to like would it be more practical more performance based yeah, competitions it, it would it would definitely be more uh 
performance-based. Uh, well, to be fair, I obviously I have not gone through these programs myself, but uh, at the time talking to some of my friends that were in these programs and uh, with my professor. Uh, so when we're at King's College London, you get a teacher from the Royal Academy. And um, I was very, very lucky to have uh, Michael Foyle, who is now a complete real professor, teach me for all of my three years there. And uh, he told me actually quite a bit about what happens during the degree. And I think, I think the difference is just that they don't, you know, the, like theory lessons and and harmony lessons and history lessons are a thing. They're still a thing. And the students there in that more practical program still do them, but at a very sort of different depth. So through our degrees, it's a bit, it's a bit more of a deep dive on various topics, specific composers, and you end up having to write three, you know, three, 4,000 word essay, uh, essay, and you finish the degree with a 10,000 word dissertation. Uh, as far as I can gather, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you know, all this essay writing and research stuff is pretty dialed back in the other programs. There's right. definitely more of a focus towards playing and playing damn well. Mm-hmm. And sort of when, when you compare the different schools in music, it reminds me of sort of our process of picking, you know, colleges or universities. There are yeah. some... There are some schools that are, uh, you know, more hands-on, more practical, uh, as compared to you know the big institutions where they're more academic. Uh, tell us about what you learned uh, in terms of picking schools. Like, uh, do we have to, you know, cast a wider net? Uh, do mm-hmm. we have to uh, be open-minded uh, or take more risks in terms of where we want to study? Like, what have you learned from this process? I think the biggest thing I learned from this process is that being rejected means very, very little. And at the end of the day, you can fail, you can start late, and you can start over. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pressure nowadays. And people, obviously, you don't want to fail at something, right? You approach a situation and you want to do well. That's perfectly fine. But I think a lot of the times people end up being paralyzed by their own fear of failure and sort of fail to acknowledge the fact that failure is absolutely normal. And you can fail a hundred times in life. Might not really matter so much as the one success you're going to get at some point. You know, I think that's the biggest thing I learned. Obviously, when you're applying for schools, I was rather... I would say slightly overly confident in my abilities and yeah, be safe. Don't just apply for the best places and expect to be able to make it, you know, be safe and pick some other choices, second choices. And another thing is just because you get it doesn't really mean you have to go. Um, Mm -hmm. I would wager that you're probably better off waiting and getting into a program that actually works for you and that is actually good than just trying to get into a place and say that you're you're studying or go into a school that's nice but not quite right for you um i right. think in time looking back certainly that like i have no regrets about having gone to a more academically focused degree um i loved my time there 
I love all the people I met and all the great experiences I went through. And I think it ended up, you know, sure, I got I got rejected by all these great schools that I wanted to go to. But do I think that, you know, I would have ended up as a worse musician because I'm here? Like, would, would I have been better if I went to those schools right now? Debatable. I would certainly be very uh, a very different person with a very different approach to music. Hell, I may not even be playing anymore. But just because I had to go and do something that wasn't what I planned for, it doesn't mean necessarily it was bad. And I appreciate, you know, everything that, that Kings and now Codarts is giving me. Right, and I that reminds me of, you know, the, the billionaires and the, the big, business owners like Mark Cuban or an Elon Musk and they always they argue that you don't even have to go to college uh, or mm-hmm. uh, you know Cuban says you could go to a smaller college um, you know you don't have to be in debt first of all uh, yeah. in so much debt but uh, you get the same uh, academic uh, experience but also it, what really matters is uh, what you do outside of school how you work towards your passion uh, yeah, sure. what are the different what are the different ways you're you're uh, you're upping your skills and uh, learning about uh, you know how to get towards your goal. That's the most important part. And it, I think for a lot of people who are uh, uh, thinking about their edu- ed- education and academic paths, um, it, it's sort of like a lot different uh, forks down the road. Um, there's different options you can do. There's no right or wrong, but it, you know it all comes back full circle. But it's just it matters along the way. Uh, how do you uh, remain passionate about what you do to work towards your goal. And I think that's a really important thing yeah. to, re- uh, to remember. And Carlos, uh, what are some lessons or inspirations uh, from studying music now? I think it, it has been, has it been six years now? <laughs> <laughs> what are some um, lessons or inspirations in, from studying music that has influenced your life and, you know, your thinking that you'd like to share with uh our listeners today wow um there's a lot i mean i've been i've been doing this for a very long time um certainly for one that perfection is impossible um you can and everything is based on balance first of all i think of course wanting to strive for more and wanting to strive for perfection is a wonderful and beautiful thing. It's a great drive and it pushes you to be better. But I think for sure there's, there's a certain point where one must examine themselves and examine what they're doing and just kind of go, yeah, this is good enough. It's not perfect. It won't be perfect ever, but it will be good enough because I think there's just going to be a time where if you just keep trying to chase perfection, you're going to burn yourself out and you'll end up hating the thing that you love. And I think perfection hinders progress. Uh, A lot of people, uh, young people who maybe want to start a business or they want to write their own book, they want to start their YouTube channel, uh, trying to make everything perfect before you even get the, you know, the, the initial product out is a hindrance to uh, working towards your goal. I think it's the fear of, uh, you know, criticism or fear of yeah. uh, people not liking your work. 
uh, at the end, it doesn't really matter because it's all a learning experience uh, exactly. that you can use later on. And I think uh, definitely just getting, uh, taking the first step, uh, making sure that uh, uh, you you learn from that experience is the most important. I think there's there's also something to be said certainly about you know people that really push for everything to be perfect. They're kind of constantly on the move, and a lot of the times. I think a lot of people just need to slow down and look at themselves and just kind of see really how far they've gone and appreciate what they can do at the moment instead of focusing on what isn't good enough to kind of just be like, okay, yeah, this isn't perfect. For me, you know, I sometimes struggle with some technical stuff. Yeah, my intonation is not perfect. I might be, you know, there's a long run of notes and I miss a few, but what can I do really well? You know, I say, you know, I can look at a piece and be like, well, I love being able to play this part. And I think I can convey beautifully what's happening at this part. And I think that's a big thing for people to just kind of stand back and stop worrying about what isn't good or good enough and really just be able to appreciate what already is good enough and what they really can already do instead of what they can't. Yeah, I think be, trying to be perfect and thinking what is good enough is actually this criteria that's set on uh, maybe internally based on what society thinks. And I, I know that uh, before we've discussed uh, your music, you talk about the difference between a competition and a master class mm-hmm. where you're sort of yeah. playing your music f- for a professor. Uh, in a competition, you feel very restrained, right? Because there's a criteria of what is perfect, what is good. Yeah. Uh, and you, there's less room to express yourself there. And I remember you telling me that, and it really reminds me of uh, what we're talking about here. Yeah. No, I think it's um, for sure. There's a there's a difference in mindset and how you approach situations. Um, one of the master classes. I'm afraid I don't remember who it is, but a student walks up, and they start to play, and then they mess up and they start to panic. And the teacher just kind of goes, whatever, man, mess up, mess up for me. I want to see you mess up because if you don't, there's nothing for me to work with. If you play for me and you're already 100% perfect, you don't need to be in this masterclass. So that kind of encapsulates how I feel about masterclasses as a whole. It's a place to improve and to share, you know, what you can do with someone and look for advice and grow with the other musicians that are with you. On the other hand, on the other hand, I think competitions are sort of set up in such a way that it's, you can't mess up. You must be completely perfect. And part of what I have an issue with competitions, you know, is that, well, you're basing, obviously classical music has its conventions. It has its history. It has its traditions and, Some pieces are expected to be played in some particular ways. You can't escape that. It has too much history to to ignore. But even then, you're judging one person's individual interpretation against a sort of grid of other people's individual interpretations. I might interpret a piece one way and fully believe in it and try to play it that way, but... If it doesn't match what the panel of judges think, they can criticize me quite harshly. And that's part of my problem with competitions, I feel. 
is that there is no universal, you know, criteria for music. There can't be. And it sort of kind of perpetuates this idea that something like this, like art, can be judged in such a way. And that you can point at someone and say, yeah, you're better than the other person for X amount of reasons. And I think that kind of discourages the beauty of music making as a whole. You know, if you walk into a competition and your primary thought is to be flawless and perfect and better than the other people here, and, you know, you're there because you want to prove yourself as a great artist or prove that you're better than other people, I think, well, the art itself has sort of been voided at the point. Um, and so that's why I, I'm a bigger I'm a bigger fan of masterclasses. The, the issue, of course... Is that currently in the in the climate we live in with classical music, competitions are just a part of life. Auditions, competitions, that's it. You have to deal with them and they're ingrained in the system. And all the greats, the greatest musicians we know, especially nowadays, kind of come out of competitions. And you can't escape that anymore, but yeah. I have my problem with them. I like masterclasses more. I think they're more all, fun and more relaxed. All interesting stuff. Uh, Carlos, I always enjoy our conversations to hear how you're doing uh, yeah, totally. in, in Europe. Obviously, we study very different things, so I really appreciate the lessons that you've learned uh, mm-hmm. from studying music. Uh, before we end off, uh, is, is there... Uh, a social media where uh, you'd like to share with the listeners where they can find you? Um, sure. Uh, I do have an Instagram where I post, I suppose, somewhat decent pictures. It's up to you to judge. But again, it's art, so you can judge, and I won't really mind. That is under Carlos Y, Carlos underscore W-H-Y-Y. And uh, you can find some stuff there. Um, there's some music stuff tagged, but... It's not primarily a music account. Not yet, at least. I don't know what I'll do with it. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Carlos. Thank you so much for being on uh, our show. This concludes episode two. uh, And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Novice Experience. Our theme song is Concrete Jungle by Audio Binger. You can find us or reach out on social media at The Novice Exp. That's The Novice EXP. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on all your podcast listening platforms. Talk to you next time.